Hi, Journey. How's everyone doing today? Great to see all of you. Uh, just a little uh, look back at last week. If you happen to miss last Sunday, it'd be fantastic if you went to journeyweb.net and you caught uh, either the video or the audio version of last Sunday. It's what we call Vision Sunday. Uh, it was also our 10-year celebration and uh, where we look back over the last decade that Journey's been around, celebrated lots of stuff that God did, and then uh, we took a look forward at some things we think God's asking us to be a part of in the future, and it'd be great if we all together knew all of that stuff and celebrated all that and were throwing in on all that, so go catch that uh, if you would. And I just have to tell you that this is, uh, series has been really, really fun, uh, Faith Sounds Like. I get the distinct privilege to close out the series with my favorite genre of music, rock music. Uh, I want to also tell you that next Sunday is Student Takeover Weekend, and uh, it'll be led by our student ministry department. Our worship gatherings will be led by our student ministry department. Cameron's going to be preaching to us, and so you won't want to miss that. In two Sundays, I'm going to kick off a brand new series called Rising Strong which is a takeoff of Brene Brown's brand new book by that very same title, and we're gonna deal with stuff like shame and vulnerability and oh, won't that be fun for all of us. Yes, it'll be really good, I'm excited. How many rock music fans in the house? You love rock, yeah, there's a bunch of you. More than country, I'm pretty sure. More than country, I'm pretty sure. Rock is just great music, right? And did you know there's such thing as rock and roll historians? Like there are people who get paid to research rock and roll history, and they tell us, rock and roll historians do, that the undisputed greatest rock and roll band of all time is, it's the Beatles. That's exactly right. You got it right. It's the Beatles. They were the pioneers of rock music, and they were pioneers of the whole culture that sort of accompanies rock music, and that culture that is threaded in with rock music can be characterized by one word. Do you know that word? Rebellion. It's, it's rebellion. Nobody said it. You're all too scared to say it. You knew it. You're just too scared. Like, I can't say that. No, it's, it really is. It's rebellion. And I have it on very good authority that the Beatles themselves were quoted in the 1960s as saying this. Our music, speaking of themselves, is capable of causing emotional instability, disorganized behavior, rebellion, and even, yes, revolution. And we hear that and we're like, oh my gosh, can all that stuff, emotional instability, disorganized behavior, rebellion, revolution, can that come just through a genre of music? Is that really possible? Because quintessential to rock music is rebellion, and I'm here today to tell you that sometimes, very often, a whole bunch of the time, faith in God is meant to sound like rock. Very often, faith in God sounds like rebellion. And you're like, oh my gosh, Brian, where is this headed? Well, let me just tell you. We've been looking at different genres of music. We've been laying these genres of music over our faith in God and saying, yeah, you know, sometimes faith in God sounds like the blues, it's all raw and ragged. Sometimes our faith journey is very, for lack of a better word, bluesy. Other times our faith in God is all like jazzy, for lack of a better word. It's all about improvising. God, I've never been in this place before. Like, now what do I do? God, you just gotta show up and show me the way. It's jazzy. Still other times our faith in God sounds like country. 
Our faith in God sounds like a country music story where like your dog dies, your pickup won't start, your girlfriend ran off with some other guy and your checkbook is completely empty. Sometimes faith sounds like country, all raw and heart sick. And I'm here today to tell you that very often our faith in God, it sounds like rock. Because sometimes, very often even, our faith in God, get this, takes us to a place of rebellion, not against God, not at all, not even close, but rather a place of rebellion against, get this, the status quo, against the establishment, whatever you want to call it. Sometimes our faith in God leads us to a place of nonconformity, to rebellion in the very best sense of the word. Godly rebellion, we'll call it, where authentic and courageous faith is required marked by unbridled passion for God, a refusal to be shaped by any other mold except God himself. And the band is doing me the huge favor of playing for you today my very favorite rock song of all time. Here it is. Give it a listen.
There's not another church in America that's playing that song today. Awesome job, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, I was in my office before this gathering started, and my 11-year-old son, Preston, said, Dad, what, what song is it today? He says, it's rock, but what song? And I told him, it's Van Halen right now. He's like, oh, Dad, should have been Jump. Should have been Jump. So, you know. Thank you guys very much. When I was 16 years old, I was a junior in high school. My youth pastor pulled me aside after a Wednesday night Bible study at our church, and he said, hop. That's what he called me uh, back then. Hop, he said, I think you should start working with our new junior high pastor, his wild, crazy guy named Vern, and I think you should lead a group of middle school boys at our Friday night middle school event called Friday Night Live. I was like, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. You lost me at Friday night and middle school boys. Could you please go back, rewind, and repeat everything you just said? So he did. And then he got to the end of that run through it, and I said, you want me to do What? You want me to lead a small group of middle school boys on Friday nights? You mean like every single Friday night? He said, yep, just think about it. And then he got up and took off. And I saw him walk down a hallway and I saw him talking to some of my buddies. I assumed he was making the very same challenge and invitation to them. And uh, afterwards, I found that to be the exact case. Some of my buddies and I were hanging out afterwards and they're going, I ain't doing that. There's no way I'm doing that. You believe that? He asked me to give up my Friday night to work with little snot-nosed middle school kids. Not a chance, like not a chance whatsoever. I know you know this, but the greatest pressure that any kid, it doesn't matter if they're in high school or in middle school or even, I dare say, in college, the greatest pressure that a kid ever faces is this pressure that we've come to call peer pressure, right? And we all know exactly what it is. It's the pressure to do what the other people around you, your peers, are doing or not doing. In other words, peer pressure is the pressure to conform to what everyone else around you is doing, thinking, saying, feeling, dressing, on and on and on it goes. And you know exactly what it feels like because you've all faced it. We've all faced it. And we know it can be quite intense can't it? The pressure to fall in line. You do what everyone around you is doing or well the results can be devastating and some of us know the price that we've paid for falling out of line, stepping out of line, going against the grain and so. And that night in my junior year of high school I had a very serious deep-seated twinge of wanting to fall in line with my buddies about the thing that our youth pastor had just asked us to do on Friday nights with middle school kids. Because I knew that saying yes to my youth pastor would mean saying no to my buddies, missing out on a whole bunch of fun with my friends on Friday nights. Which in Billings, what's there to do on a Friday night in Billings? Cruise up and down 24th Street and hang out in the Kmart parking lot is what I did when I was in high school. And we thought that was just a ball and it was really stupid actually. And you got to understand, I wasn't like a big rebel when I was in high school. I did play my fair share of practical jokes, but just harmless fun kind of stuff. I was a pretty ordinary, not-so-bad kid doing pretty ordinary, not-so-bad things, going with the general flow of the rest of my high school peers. But for some distinctly memorable reason, I really wanted, I felt strongly compelled to say yes to my youth pastor. To say yes to serving middle school boys. To say yes to leading a middle school boys small group every single Friday night all year long. Yes, Senior West and every other 
yes, every Friday night. Even in the face of my friends saying, no way, I'm not doing that. And I reflect back and I go like, why, why did I feel so strongly compelled to say yes? And it's for this reason. Because there was a whisper from the Lord deep in my soul. A whisper from the Lord deep in my soul that said, Brian, you should do this. You should say yes. Brian, don't you dare say no. No matter what your friends are saying, no matter how they're, you know, throwing this thing in the garbage can, this opportunity, don't say no. You, Brian, you say yes. And at the ripe age of 16, that moment was one of the very first times in my entire life that I can recall hearing a whisper from the Lord. And I acted on it. And I took God at his word. And I went right then and I found my youth pastor and I said, hey, I'm in. I want to help with those middle school boys you were talking to me about. Thank you. Thank you for asking. And sometimes, folks, faith in God sounds like rock. It sounds like you and me and us hearing from the Lord something absolutely astonishing or shocking or disruptive or way bigger than you can even imagine. And you hearing that thing from the Lord, something that might go completely counter to everything everyone around you is saying and doing and thinking, something that all the forces of this world are urging you to ignore the prompting from God and just stay comfortable, just keep doing what you're doing, just keep up the status quo, don't make any waves. The pressure just to fall in line with conventional wisdom fall in line with peer pressure. Pretend, pretend you didn't hear what you know that you heard from the Lord. Because if you acknowledge it, you know that your world as you know it is gonna get wrecked. It's gonna get turned on its head. Sometimes faith in God sounds like rock. And sometimes faith in God takes us all to a place where you gotta do something pretty countercultural, pretty against the flow, pretty against the grain, where you rebel against comfortable Christianity for the sake of obeying God. Just do it. Sometimes faith in God sounds like rock. It sounded like rock for a couple of guys in the Old Testament of the Bible. How many of you know the story of Joshua and Caleb? Show of hands, a few of you, yeah, some of you do. It's a fantastic story. Moses is leading the nation of Israel, and he says, I need 12 spies to scout out the land that God had promised them, the land that was called the what? The promised land. That's exactly right. Good job. Send these guys out and bring back a report of how great the promised land is. And so Moses does. He gathers up 12 guys, and he says, go scout the promised land. Numbers 13, you can read about who it was. And they go, they scout it all out. They gather agricultural samples from the land. Grapes and pomegranates and figs, spectacular stuff. And they bring it back. And this spy team stands before the nation and people of Israel. And the spy team gives their espionage report. Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 27. This was their report. We entered the land you sent us to explore and it indeed is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces, and they showed off what they had hauled back. But the people, but, they say, the people there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, 
The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. And so they spread this bad report about the land among the whole nation of Israel. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. And the people we saw were huge, huge. You can just hear, it sounds like Donald Trump. Huge, that's how he says it. We even saw giants there. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. And the entire nation of Israel, they heard the spies, the espionage report, and they all started, what they do? They started freaking out. They're all like weeping. Literally, you read the text. They're weeping and they're crying all night long because they think, we're all gonna die. If we go into that land, we're all gonna die. And Caleb and Joshua, they're like, no, no, no. Faith sounds like rock. Faith sounds like rock. And they pushed back against the entire nation and people. Imagine that. They pushed back against their entire nation. They pushed back. They rebelled And they said, those 10 other spies, come on, guys, no, don't listen to them. And they stand up and they say, two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Japuna, tore their clothing. They tore their clothing and they said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored, it is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's a land, rich land, flowing with milk And honey, do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They're the grasshoppers. We're not. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua, and it didn't go so well, did it? But they still didn't care what anyone else thought. They said, God's got this. He's told us to go. He's pledged this land to us. Sometimes, they said, faith sounds like rock. And then there's this other time, a little later in the Older Testament of the Bible. Moses has passed away by this time. God has appointed Joshua to lead the nation and people of Israel. He didn't get stoned that day. Joshua's leading Israel. And now it's time for Israel to move into the promised land. And one day Joshua says, I gotta send out some spies. I ain't sending out 12 this time. I'm sending out two because the 12 didn't go so well last time. I'm sending two spies this time. And he says, go scout the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around the city of Jericho. And so they went. And lots of you know this story. Nightfall is approaching and these two Israelite spies, they end up knocking on the door of a woman named Rahab. And Rahab is a known what? prostitute, she's a prostitute, and so we pick up the story of Joshua chapter two, starting in verse one. Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. And so the two men set out, they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. They knew what was up. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Now Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. She lied. She lied. 
Because parenthetically, look what the scripture says. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. And so the king's men, they left and they went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. And before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have now heard, we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. We know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. And you can read the rest of the story sometime. The spies, they come to Rahab's house. She knows something's up. She's heard the talk all around town about how God, Yahweh's hand, was on the Israelites. The Jerichoites knew they were in the middle of this land that God had promised to Israel. And so they're all freaking out. They're weeping and crying all night long. The king of Jericho, he sends his officers to find the men and arrest them. And Rahab fools them. She lies to them. She outsmarts the king. She outsmarts his men. Hides the same Israelite spies up on her roof. Sometimes faith sounds like rock. This is a prostitute, mind you. And you know what she's saying? She's saying, you know what? This town's going to fall. The God of these people, Israel, he's it. He's the real deal. He's up to something here. He's not at all like the pagan little G gods that we worship. And she pushes back against the most powerful person she knows, the king. And she rebels. And she hides the spies. And she sends the king's arresting officers on a wild goose chase down towards the Jordan River. And she aids in the spies' escape. She aids in the fall of her own city, Jericho. She aids in the advancement of God's kingdom here on planet Earth. And the rest of the story goes on to talk about the deal that Rahab made. She makes a deal with the Israelite spies. And it was a deal to spare her life, a deal to spare her family's life, her entire clan's life, actually. And you know, the deal that she made, the deal that Rahab made that night with those Israelite spies, it ended up landing her in the middle of Jesus' family history. Did you know this? That Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the liar, is part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And she, a prostitute, Liar ends up in the Hebrews chapter 11 hall of faith because why? Because she rebelled against conventional, ordinary wisdom of the day. Sometimes faith sounds like rock. And then you turn the page to the New Testament of the scriptures and along comes a man named Jesus. And there's a whole bunch of people these days that buy into a sort of comfortable American Christianity view of Jesus. Like he had long, neat, blonde hair, perfectly trimmed beard, blue eyes, and he talks just like we all talk. That's some of our picture that we have of Jesus, the sort of establishment religion perception of him. Not at all very rock music-like, right? There's actually a lot of people who would argue that there's nothing about Jesus that's particularly rebellious. After all, if you hit him, what's he do? He turns the other cheek. He hung out with little children, People mocked him, and he didn't do anything in response. Other people ultimately killed him, and he didn't do anything in response. And you're like, what's so rebellious about that? But then you come to Matthew chapter 5, 
one of Jesus' most seminal foundational teachings, starting in verse three. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will, check this out, see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they'll be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And Jesus goes on and on and on, and that sounds like rock and roll rebellion right there. Not the kind of rebellion that some people think of when they hear the word rebellion, but that's as countercultural as it gets, as anti-establishment as it gets. That's Jesus Christ entirely rocking the world as we see it and know it and live it. You mean to tell me that the poor get blessed, not the rich? doesn't feel like it works that way. And Jesus is going, I'm telling you, that's how it works. You're telling me that God blesses people who mourn God, comfort God, actually God himself, comfort, yep, absolutely. And, and then you come to the humility part and you're like, humility? You mean to tell me that God favors the humble over, here we go again, over, over the Donald Trumps of this world? And Jesus is like, you better believe it. The world is theirs, actually, Jesus says. And then he comes to this fantastic part, doesn't he? Talking to you justice fighters, you who fight for justice, you are seeking to bring justice in this world. It's coming, Jesus says. It's coming. The justice that you so long for, it's coming, and Jesus promises it, and on and on and on he goes. And he's panning the way that we think things work in this world, and he's turning it all right on its head imposing an entirely new and radical worldview right here, right now. Faith sounds like rock. And don't ever misunderstand, Jesus Christ isn't some nice, safe preacher guy who shies away from upsetting conventional wisdom, not even close. He's all about his father's business all about his father's business, the kingdom of God business, and it runs way different than the business of this world. And we all, every single one of us, comes to a decision point. At one time or another in our life, the very same decision point that the rich young ruler had to face the day that he met Jesus Christ. And every single one of us, at some time or another in our life, will have to answer the same question he did. And it's this question, is your faith in God going to sound like rock? Or is your faith in God just going to go with the comfortable, easy flow? Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem. A young man, a man we know who was a rich, young ruler, came running up to Jesus. And he knelt down and he asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus doesn't get right to his question. Instead, he says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. That was just a freebie for Jesus to the rich young ruler. And then he says, but to answer your question, I'll get to it, he says. You know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. 
You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've done all that. I've got that down. I've obeyed all those commandments since I was young. And Jesus is like, what? All right. And look what he says. Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done. Go, he says, and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at that, the man's face fell and he went away sad. Why? Because he had a whole bunch of stuff. He was a rich young ruler after all and he had a whole bunch of stuff. And right here, right now, every single one of us faces that very same question. Sure, we're not rich young rulers, but we do indeed live in the midst of a society that spends most of its time and most of its energy chasing after the comfortable thing we call the American dream. A dream, by the way, that in my view is not too rockin', really. A dream that says, just stay safe. A dream that says, just stay secure. A dream that says, ensure your own security. A dream that says, ensure that everything is as comfortable as it possibly can be. A dream that says, minimize personal risk. That's the American dream. And along comes Jesus Christ, the son of God. And he says, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. Safety and security and comfort and the American dream, that doesn't sound like faith in me. That doesn't sound like rock. As a matter of fact, that doesn't sound like anything but elevator music, which is horrible stuff, right? Like elevator music takes really good songs and ruins them tragically. And we're like, oh, shut it off. That's elevator music. Because Jesus says real, true, genuine, authentic faith in God, it sounds like rock. Because faith in him isn't safe and it's not secure except for the soul part of you is. Faith in him can actually be quite dangerous. It can be and seem and feel quite rebellious because it pushes back against conventional wisdom and peer pressure. And the more and more our faith in God sounds like rock, the less, get this, the less pull the agenda of this world holds in our life. Where we go, you know, that, that stuff, it just doesn't hold any sway over me anymore. That's the place that God says, get here. Along comes Jesus Christ and he's going, I am so passionately determined to do God's will. I'm so passionately determined to do the will of the Father. I don't care what anyone else says. Jesus is in no way a conformist. Jesus was in no way a safe guy. And he says, you step out and you live for me, he says. Out here on the ragged edge of faith where your toes are hanging off and you're like, holy cow, if God doesn't show up, this is all gonna go to pot. Not that kind of pot, just down the drain. You know what I mean. Faith sounds like rock, not elevator music. Because following Jesus is not in any way about living a comfortable, risk-free existence. Not even close. And I assure you, if you say you want to go to that place with him, God will lead you to make decisions, tough decisions, to do things that are not in any way safe according to conventional wisdom. Stuff that's full of risk. Stuff that sometimes makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And Jesus says that's right. 
that's right. Because in my kingdom, everything's turned on its head. It's not the way it seems. Up is down, down is up. Because the kingdom of God always and forever runs counter. The kingdom of God will always push back. The kingdom of God will always rebel against the kingdom of this world. And the ultimate act that proves that that's the case is Jesus' death on the cross. God's ultimate effort to overcome establishment trends both in this world and in our lives. And Jesus says, follow me, trust me. No comfortable middle-class Christianity. It isn't just about being warmed and filled. It's about living on the ragged edge of faith where faith sounds like rock, where God must show up. And Jesus says, will you just trust me? Will you just come with me? Come with me. I've got a more grand adventure than you can even ever imagine. Just come with me, stick with me, follow me, trust me. Come on, come on. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would. And I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and move into a posture of hearing and reflecting with the Lord. And maybe you'd just press in with the Lord in this time and you'd just ask him, Lord, does my faith in you, does it sound like rock? Or does my faith in you sound more like elevator music? And if your faith already sounds like rock, like, way to go. You're on it. Keep that up. Whatever you got to do to keep throwing fuel on that fire, just keep doing that with God's help. But if you're anything like me, you might have some places in your life where your faith doesn't sound like rock. It sounds a lot like elevator music, and it's terrible. places where God's saying just put down your vision of comfort and maybe you need to put down your ideal vision of how everything in your life unfolds and goes and Jesus says maybe you just need to trust me and maybe there's some things that you're gonna have to push back against, you're gonna have to rebel against, you're gonna have to not conform to that maybe some people in your world really want you to, really hope you do, really expect that you will. And I think God's gonna put his finger right on those things for you. Those places in your life, in your faith journey, that don't sound like rock. And then you're going to have a decision to make. What am I going to do? Am I going to put it down or am I going to hang on to it? And Jesus says, just set it down for my sake. 
for the sake of my kingdom, just put it down. Be a Jesus rebel for crying out loud. And he says, come on. Come on. And maybe there's some of you here today that you're coming face to face with the real, true, authentic Jesus. The Jesus who loves you so very much that he died on the cross for you that day 2,000 years ago for no other reason than he loves you. And perhaps he's been pursuing you for some time and you've been running and hiding out, listening to elevator music in all kinds of places. And maybe God's saying to you today, it's time to come home. It's time for you to take a bold revolutionary step and come home to him. It's time for you to cross the line of faith in Jesus, give your whole heart, your whole life to him. And if that's you, I just invite you to pray with me right now, right where you are. Just say, Jesus, there's nothing I can do to overcome my sin. I've been working real hard at it, but I can't. I cannot save myself. And so Jesus, by faith and by faith alone, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I want you, Jesus, to be my savior. And I want you to know, Jesus, how grateful I am for you saving me, you dying for me, you rising for me. Here I am. I'm throwing all in with you, Jesus. And if you're a person today who's crossing the line of faith in Jesus, that's the single, get this, single most rebellious thing you could ever do in your entire life. Jesus, we just say thank you. Thank you so much for the way that you're moving in hearts and lives, bringing people home to you, Jesus. And what all of us say to the depths of our being is don't let us be comfortable Christians. Not just 75% sold out for you or 95% sold out for you. We want to be 100% plus for you, Jesus. Out on the ragged edge of faith. With deep passion to love you. And a heart to make you known a heart to live on your mission, that we don't just keep this to ourselves, but we go and we tell your story and we invite people to follow you. Just like you've invited us again and again and again. God, may our faith in you sound like rock, nothing but rock pushing back and challenging the comfortable American dream. We don't want that. We want you, Jesus, because you matter so much more. We want you, Jesus, and that's it.